Let me say welcome as well. If you've joined us since we've begun, I'm Tony Giles, one of the pastors, and delighted to be with you today as we step back into a series that we began a few weeks ago. We took one week away off of that last week to focus on another relevant topic of shepherding. But we've returned to the Gospel of Mark today. And since it's been two weeks, and that's a long time in our world, let me uh, bring all of us uh, back up to where we are and what we have seen. As we've opened the book of Mark, we have seen an introduction of sorts. It doesn't take long, less than a verse, (laughs) to encounter the reality of the one that this book and all of Scripture is about. His name is Jesus Christ, and he is identified right off the bat as the Son of God. One of the the texts and passages we read beyond that is the voice of God the Father saying, You are my, my son whom I love, my beloved. You are my son. That's his identity. It's declared right from the beginning and will continue through this this, uh, gospel account. But more than his identity, we learn firsthand, and we see it again today, not only his identity, but his mission. Just what it is he came to do, and it's summarized with the word, inaugurating the kingdom of God by declaring the gospel of God. That's his mission that he steps into boldly and gladly. And as that unfolds, what we've seen in this first chapter is that he heal, in doing so, as the Son of God, on mission from God, he healed many who were sick with various diseases and oppressed by demons. Now that's a category beyond our typical experience, but it comes at us again today in a category that is strange to us perhaps as well. We see a resolute commitment to that mission when he says, when people are after him, to do more of that. He says, this is why I came. And then we see him preaching the gospel and casting out demons. That's why I came, to to bring the gospel to bear in all of its fullness and the kingdom of God as it is inaugurated. Another gospel writer, Luke, will tell us that this Jesus was mighty in deed and word. Those are actually the words of a disciple who was trying to summarize this person and his mission. He was mighty in deed and word, and that's what we see. And in this first chapter, we we have seen him dealing with two individuals. So it gets personal right off the bat. It's not just esoteric. It's not just a philosophy. It's not just a way of thinking about the world. But it gets very personal very quickly, where he heals a man with an unclean spirit, and he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And today we come to a third individual, a third encounter in this first chapter where we find Another sort of miracle, best described not as a healing, but a cleansing, and there's a difference. We're going to see that as the text unfolds, invite you to give your attention to the reading of God's Word, Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. And a leper came to him imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. 
Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Guide us, O Lord, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, that in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I think it is safe to say <clears throat> that, um, that in heaven there will be no more tears. We read that in Revelation. But along with that, no more pain, no more agony, no more abandonment, no rejection, no isolation. And for some of you, that's enticing. Because you have known something of that abandonment or rejection or isolation and a pain that if it's only a dull ache or a sharp pain, it is a pain nonetheless. And I hope to show you that that's true from our text today. The text before us show, explains that. It shows us why that is true. It explains the plea of one man and the response of another and what happens when they go their separate ways. That's the text before us. And if your life feels strained or stressed or broken may be the most accurate word, marked by pain and longing of some sort, you are not alone. You are human in a fallen world. And this text comes to you. And it's really, we feel that way because the best that life offers us in this world is still marked by pain and longing until God intervenes. And that's what we see in this text. What we learn from this text is this, that when Jesus gently intrudes into your life to cleanse you, you get your life back. You get your life back. I'm going to try to walk through this by answering four questions together. First is, why do we need to be cleansed? What does it take to be cleansed? What are the results of that cleansing? And then how do you get it? That's our map today. Why do we need to be cleansed is the first question. That wasn't a question you might have been asking when you came in today. You might have been asking this one, though. Why should Christianity matter to me? It's those are the same question. Why do we need to be cleansed? And the Bible gives us two answers, a lot of answers, but two from this text. Why do we need to be cleansed? The first answer is this. It has to do with the depth of the human problem. 
It's the depth of the human problem. Chances are by now that you've paid more attention to the Center for Disease Control and the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease and its director than you ever imagined. You have been watching the news. You've been trying to get your hands, haven't we, on this and around where we are in this moment. Who doesn't know the name and even recognize the voice of Dr. Anthony Fauci? We know that name. We know, you may be among those who know that he played high school basketball. And as unlikely as it seems, has a very difficult time throwing a baseball. If that's lost on you, I'll explain it later. We know the man. We have been attuned to current events like hardly ever before. Those, Those events, anyway. You've learned some new technology. You now know what PPE means. And you may have known that prior, some of you, no doubt. But we all know the importance of being personally protected. We've learned that. And if you listen carefully or watch closely, you may know this. You probably need to know this. Available data indicate that persons with mild to moderate COVID-19 remain infectious no longer than 10 days after symptom onset. That's actually shaped a lot of the guidelines that we've tried to adhere to here. Persons with more severe to critical illness or severe immunocompromise likely remain infectious no longer than 20 days after symptom onset. And what that means, and here's the good news, that isolation and precautions can generally be discounted 10 days after symptom onset. But not so leprosy. Leprosy, by the way, before there was the CDC and the NIAD, there was and still is the Mishnah. <laughs> that, is, that is words that have been assembled to, make, to supplement the written law in the book of Exodus, the Exodus in particular, and the Leviticus, the Pentateuch. Uh, there's two lengthy chapters in Leviticus that read, like one commentator says, like an ancient manual on dermatology. Leprosy was a term for several skin diseases, but it appears in two principal forms in, in, the, um, in the days before us here that we're considering. Uh, one by far more dangerous, one fairly benign. Both start with a discoloration of a patch of skin, a patch that may be white or pink, most likely to appear, uh, to appear on the brow, nose, ear, cheek, or chin. The dangerous version of that patch may may spread widely in all directions. Portions of the eyebrows may disappear. Spongy, tumor-like swellings grow on the face and the body. The disease becomes systemic and involves the internal organs as well as the skin. And a marked deformity of hands and feet occurs when the tissues between the bones deteriorates and disappears. And often the sensory nerve endings no longer respond to heat or injury, and the unwary patient may be subject to further destruction of his or her limbs before they realize the danger. And that's who's standing before Jesus. That guy. 
It's no surprise that Jews were forbidden to touch a leper. It was thought and understood that that would very likely, as we've learned, it runs, runs the risk of communicating an uncleanness from one person to another. That's why my hands are cleaner than they've ever been. And perhaps yours as well. But Jews were forbidden to touch, and, and the way they were identified was prescribed. Listen to these words from Leviticus 13. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. But worst of all, if that's not bad enough, Worst of all, the leprosy that marked his life or her life disqualified that person from approaching the, the presence of God in the tabernacle or the temple. Now, a lot of times we feel like our sin is what bars us from the presence of God and there's a reality to that, but leprosy itself was not a sin. But it was a symbol for sin and a barrier to approaching the symbolic presence of God, which was the tabernacle and then the temple. Now, it's likely that you will never contract leprosy, which raises the question, what does this story have to do with me? Some of you were already there. <laughs> You're not going to get leprosy. I'm going to go out on a limb. But we have more in common with this leper than the story would suggest on the surface. Because of our need for cleansing, that we have a need for cleansing that is more deadly and destructive and universal. It's a problem, a more universal problem than the worst skin disease. The Bible says that our real problem goes down to the core of who we are. And it's not a makeover that we need. It is something deeper. It is something that has a depth that means that we can't address. Spiritual leper sounds harsh. I mean, look around. We look pretty decent. Spiritual leper, though, comes really close. It maybe nails the, the story that the Bible tells about who we are until God intervenes. So, that is why we need to be cleansed. It's the depth of the problem. But in addition to that, it's a problem that we can't do anything about. The inability that we have to do anything about it ourselves. One of the, one of the most uh, brilliant displays of that is contained in the, uh, the, the story that C.S. Lewis gives us from the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Lewis introduces us to a character named Eustace. Some of you know the story. 
Eustace at this point in the story is a, is a mean, selfish little boy that everybody hates because he's so mean and selfish and he hates them. Eustace finds himself magically on a boat floating and lands on an island that he does not know. He finds a cave and in that cave he finds a treasure that because of the circumstances it's his to do with what he wants. And he lays down on that exhausted and he goes to sleep dreaming about what he will do to get back at all of those other children that have been so mean to him. What will he now do to them? Eustace awakens the next day and realizes something tragic. That as he dwelt on those dreams throughout the night, they've had an effect on him and that he awakens and has become himself a dragon because it was a dragon's hoard that was his bed. He's terrible. He's ugly. And he's frankly too big to get back on the boat that got him there. And he is stuck. And he realizes now he's going to be horrible all of his life. And he falls into deep despair. And that's where he is when the lion Aslan appears. And when Aslan comes to him, he says to Eusus, undress, Eusus, and jump in this water. He understands him to mean to take off the dragon's skin and jump in the water. And he begins to gnaw and claw off the scales only to find that underneath there's another layer and then another. And he realizes this isn't going away. It's deeper. It penetrates. It's something that I can't do anything about, says Eustace. And that's where Aslan says, in his kindness, you're going to have to let me go deeper. And when Lewis tells the story, Eustace says, I was afraid of his claws. I was afraid of what damage they would do. He was a lion, after all. But as I let him peel away one layer after another layer, and then I jumped in, I could swim. And then I realized that I was not in pain, and I could swim now because I was a little boy again. Eustace got his life back. And like the leper, like Eustace, we need the touch of his hand to reach where we cannot reach, to do what we cannot do. Someone has to do this for us. So what does it take to be cleansed? That's question number two, moving quickly through this. What does it take? It takes someone who can do this. Uh, the leper knew the stories. Jesus had been healing, and that's why he has appeared. Apparently, this Jesus can do this. And we're going to read in the next chapter that he has the authority to do so. Listen to Mark 2. That you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic in that case, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And that's what he did. He has he has an authority to do what we need done. But he's also in a position to do what needs to be done. Do you wonder why he touched the leper? 
I would suggest to us that the reason Jesus touches the lepers, there's multiple reasons. But one is to identify with him. It's to become, to come alongside and to identify with him in that. To be able to say, I know what your isolation and pain is. And I'm identifying with it and taking it on to do something with it. He has the authority to do it. He's in a position to do it. And I'm going to guess that most of you knew that when you arrived today. That this Jesus of Nazareth has the authority and the power and he's standing ready to do what needs to be done. But your question may be the lepers. Did you notice the first things that the leper said? If you are willing... He's asking, are you willing? The word that we translate will there is a word for desire. And he's asking what Jesus' deepest desires are. And for some of us, we we get to a place in our life where we've been at this long enough. We wonder, is God done with me? Or is he getting exhausted as if he could. But, but what's the posture of his heart toward me? Is he so disappointed with me that he's reluctant to do what needs to be done? The, your versions, your translation here that we read today said Jesus was moved with pity. We see that on display throughout the Gospels that Jesus was moved with pity on on a number of occasions. Uh, There's the same word can be translated a different way. In fact, the NIV does translate it. He was indignant. Which is it? Or is it both? The word can mean either that he was filled with compassion, but was indignant, not with the man for sure. Just watch how the story turns out. He was not angry or indignant with the man, but I would suggest to you an anger at the evil which spoils human nature in any shape or form. He was indignant at the ravaging effect of sin. It doesn't show, always show up on our skin. Sometimes the ravaging effects of sin are deeper than that. It's bitterness and brokenness and anger and frustration and jealousy and vengeance and pride and selfishness. The ravaging effects of sin is what caused Jesus to move forward because he's not only someone who can... He is someone who will. He says, I will. Yes, I will. And that's what some of you and I need to hear today. Paul Miller, writing about this, says, Jesus moved toward people that others pulled away from. 
I mean, that would have been my take on the leper. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up. I'm going to give him the space. I may run. But Jesus is moving toward the people that other people pulled away from. Dane Ortland, writing in a book entitled Gentle and Lowly, <clears throat> cites a, a Puritan named Thomas Goodwin in his work entitled The Heart of Christ. And this is what Dane says about Goodwin's work. Christ does not cringe at reaching out and touching dirty sinners and numbed sufferers. Such embrace is precisely what he loves to do. He cannot bear to hold back. The needs in your life and mine that need his cleansing work are the very things he came to do. It's why when he sees our brokenness and our need, he can't hold back, but he moves forward in what Paul Miller says is a gentle intrusion. I love that picture. What are the results? What are the results of being cleansed? Well, we see it here in the text. Uh, the man that was cleansed, he's, he's been told not to say anything, but he can't help himself, and he runs into the, to the city, into the village. And frankly, who can blame him? <laughs> he's, been, he's been separated, isolated, and rejected. And now he's clean and has access to family and friends. And he's, you, can't you just see him introducing himself to even strangers? He's been relieved and released from all of that. And he is a new person. The result is he gets community back. He's restored in relationship with others. That's one. But underneath that is he begins to feel a little different, if not a lot different about himself. I mean, wouldn't you? He's, he's given back a dignity that, he had, that had been taken away by this disease. He is now a human again. And it's a dignity that has a basis in a new reality. The results of being cleansed, he gets community with others. He gets his dignity. He gets himself back. But ultimately, and the biggest piece of the story is that he gets access to God back. That's why Jesus said, go to the temple, go to the priest. You, that priest who, who was not ready to see you, he's ready to see you now. That door that was barred, the doors are flung wide open for you to enter into the presence of the living God. A person who is clean here touches someone who is unclean. And for the first time in recorded history, the flow is miraculously reversed. Jesus did not become unclean, but Jesus' cleanness was given to the leper. That's the result. That's the result of being cleansed. He's received a, a cleanness and a, and a righteousness that was not his own. Which is why Isaiah will write, Fear not, you will no longer live in shame. There's no more disgrace for you. Aren't those words that you need to hear today? You will no longer live in shame. There's no more disgrace for you. Because as you come like the leper, you get your life back. 
Those are the results. How does this actually happen? How do we get this? Just in, as we move toward an end very quickly here, how do you get this? Well, we follow the leper. We simply follow the leper. What did he do? Look again at verse 40. In, he came to Jesus in humility, kneeling, we see. That's the picture. He comes to Jesus kneeling. He comes in humility. But he also comes in desperation, imploring. It wasn't a mild request. It was a passionate plea. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Imploring him but also in faith. Do you hear the beginnings of faith right there? He says, I'm not trusting in myself anymore. I can't, I can't solve this, but I know that you can. That's faith. You can, if you will. In grace and mercy, Jesus heals a leper by his touch. And in grace and mercy, Jesus heals the contamination of sin by identifying with it and then taking that on and paying the penalty for it. In grace and mercy, Jesus identifies with our sin on the cross and heals by his resurrection. It's the resurrected Christ who now offers you life. Joseph Hart was born in London in 1712. He went on to write hymns later in his life, but his early life, by his own account, was a curious mixture of loose conduct, serious conviction of sin, and futile efforts to mend his ways. Sound familiar? A curious mixture of loose conduct, serious conviction of sin, and futile efforts to amend his ways, his life. Until at age 45. That's a long way off for some of you. For some of you, you can kind of remember. 45. At 45, there was a change in his life. And it was a response to a sermon that he heard in Revelation 3. We began to see that there's a change that is occurring in my life. And two years later, he wrote these words. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick, sore. Jesus ready, willing. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. But you know, it's not just his compassion and his ability that gets you there. We only receive this because he too was banished. It's so striking that the cleansed leper was able to enter the town, but because he went into the town and was telling the story, who could not? Jesus could not enter the town. He could not enter any towns, it says. But by announcing the news... Jesus could not go back into the town and was banished to the far country. Just as he would one day be banished from his father's presence. The leper has access to the town because Jesus was banished. And we have access into the riches that are ours in Christ because Jesus was banished 
He was banished from the presence of the Father. And while the sin of the leper, he never took on it. He didn't become sinful. But he took the penalty for that sin, just as he does yours and mine. Which is why Peter would write, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. By his wounds, you've been healed, cleansed, and restored. I find it striking that Isaiah also wrote these words. Speaking of the servant who would give his life, he was despised and rejected by men. Despised and rejected like a leper. Despised, rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, like a leper. Jesus became the one who was despised and rejected, who from whom men hid their faces. Smitten by God and afflicted. One final question. Why did Jesus tell the leper to show himself to the priest? Well, the short answer to that is that that piece of the ceremonial law was still in force during this time in Jesus' life and ministry before Jesus' resurrection while the kingdom of God was just beginning to dawn. And Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. Take the sacrifice. That's how this works. But you know what? We don't know if he ever made it. The text doesn't tell us. All we know is he ran into the town and started telling family and friends and strangers what had happened to him. We don't know if he went back to the temple. But you know what? It doesn't really matter. Because you don't have to go to show the priest and bring a sacrifice. Because you and I have one who is the priest, who was the sacrifice. The writer of Hebrews tells us why we don't have to go show ourselves to a a priest to be cleansed and readmitted to, to the fellowship of the body. Because those sacrifices, that priest can never, Hebrews tells us, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered over and over, year after year, make perfect those who draw near. But we, friends, have Jesus Christ who offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, Hebrews 10, and he holds his priesthood permanently. He is your great high priest who reaches into your life to do what you cannot do for yourself. To take away what leprosy symbolized that is our ultimate deep problem that we can do nothing about. He takes away the sin of the world, the Lamb of God, And for you, friends, 
for us, the kingdom of God has dawned. And the restoration is underway. You get your life back. You get community. You get God. The restoration is underway. And that work of transforming you and shaping you, the rest of Scripture say, to the very image of Christ is underway. And you're in the hands of one who cannot resist, who moves toward you in your need, no matter how deep that issue runs. He is yours, and he is at work. Hear his voice say to you, I am willing, and come to him. Father, you will enable us by your Spirit to do just that, to hear your voice. Lord, as the words of the Scriptures are opened up to us by your Spirit, we, we sense our need. And we sense your readiness. And so weak and wounded, sick and sore, we come to you. The one who is good. The one who finds our need irresistible. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.